0: Charlie. Mark, Mark Charlie. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's
1: theory of relativity. We're still
0: seeing it quite well through that haze. The growing e equals MC. 13. That strength. all men
1: are created equal.
0: <laughs> About the future
1: innovations.
0: And growing strength in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Tear down happening, something along the this is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Finding Your Frequency. I'm your host today Ryan Treasure and we continue our uh, fantastic series of programming around things that matter for everybody uh, and we're going to we're going to keep keep the vibe going today. Uh, you know i want to just tell a quick story to to start this off i i was in my office this morning and got visited by a host of ours who uh who was coming here to do some training for our local uh, community uh, around uh child sex trafficking and all that and i just want to take a moment to to highlight that radio show exploited crimes against humanity with host opal singleton please go take a listen to that show because all too many times we get wrapped up in the future of technology and the future of now and what what things are happening and i think think sometimes we we forget about some of the downside, and I think it's important to keep those top of mind. And you know, today we're going to talk about digital things, all things digital, uh, accountability, right? Uh, how 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 data rights work, privacy design, uh, children's online privacy considerations around those, and you know, we wanted to bring on a, a great guest that could talk in depth and really get nitty gritty uh, in these in these subjects. So I want to welcome Christina Podner to the show. Uh, she's published a how-to guide for companies. He's called The Power of Digital Policy to Implement Sound and Smart Digital Policies and Practices, including GDPR, and has been in the digital policy consulting space for 20 years. Welcome to the show, Christina.
1: Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, you know we were having a really cool conversation. I think before uh, before we got started with the show, and I want to definitely continue down that road and you know talk about uh, all things digital and you know rights and management and all of those fun things and you know of course how GDPR has been impacting the EU and you know how things are happening in the United States and where some of those things are trending. But I think before we get into that, I just have to ask the the age old question of you know Christina, as you were looking at all of these pieces around creating policies for uh, digital mechanisms you know where and how was that for you when you decided to to go down that route Um, you know it's almost similar to you know asking an accountant why they decide they want to you know delve into spreadsheets and you know some of the answers that I get in those respects are are, are amazing and so uh, I welcome to hear the story of how Christina found her frequency in digital policy
1: Wow, well, I wish that it was a very straightforward road, but it was anything but that. Um, It was really, I think, started. the journey started in 1998, and um, I was working at a web agency and creating websites primarily for nonprofits. We were very unique in the space, um, operating at a very exciting time. If you remember, that's really when the internet was just taking off. And because it was such the early days, right, innovation was everywhere, and there were no rules, like zero, zilch, zero. We created everything that seemed exciting and new, um, everything that would really put our clients on the map. That's what we were about. We were with really big names. And that was really, really awesome. But this sort of laissez faire attitude at times resulted in many fiascos. In fact, um, you know, I kind of. Single-handedly brought down a website for like eight hours. Um, I passed clear text uh, credit cards to banks through FTP for processing. Did a lot of crazy things, and you know, today, you know, we probably would laugh at that and say, "Wow, you know, such behavior could be grounds for dismissal." But what I realized is that we never really changed that behavior, that mindset. We might have tweaked individual practices over the years, but about maybe. 10, 12 years ago, it really dawned on me that what we were doing is you know, just changing things a little bit, like turning up the temperature on the frog that's in the water, right? You're turning it up slowly, and but nothing's really changing. And that's sort of where we are in the digital space, I think, today, is the temperature continues to kind of increase, and we're in this pot, and it's about to simmer, and none of us are really aware of really what's on the horizon. And so, to me, I became hyper-aware that organizations, especially businesses, but organizations on the whole. We're trying to exploit digital to the max, but really doing that without any consequences and without thought to what could happen, either from a legal or regulatory perspective or even just thinking about it from an opportunistic perspective, right? Like you could do some crazy things in social media and your brand reputation would kind of go downhill. Um, or, you know, maybe you would kind of turn off consumers because you had content that wasn't accessible and they had a disability. So it really dawned on me that we needed to start becoming a little bit more grown up and I decided to focus on digital policies. i uh, been doing it for quite a time, and I have to tell you, it feels like a lonely road, but now that GDPR and other things are behind us, I think uh, it's getting more exciting.
0: Yeah, I got the opportunity, uh, I think it was in late 2017, to visit um, a a giant conference in Orlando called SAP Sapphire. Um, And as you know, SAP is, you know, one of the largest software companies in the world. They have a, a global footprint. And, you know, it was really it was really cool because this was right around the time they were getting ready for GDPR. And, -hmm. and, you know, here I am in the in the U.S. And I'm going, oh, GDPR, whatever, you know, (laughs) not going to really mess with us. And then I get to thinking about it. You know how many radio show guests that we have on in a yearly basis that are not based in the United States that are in right some mm-hmm. of those countries? And I went, oh, my goodness, this is a huge impact for us. But it took me, you know, a, a wildly long amount of time for myself as a technical person to wrap my head around the breadth of what GDPR was. But then as you think about it, too, you know, as intrusive as it might seem to a company, um, what it provides to the individual um, from a data control perspective is very good and very needed. And so... (laughs) Although you mention it being a lonely road at times, because I know <laughs> how executives are in the digital space, they're like, "Gotta get a product to market. Gotta get a product to market," and not looking at all of those elements. And so sometimes you can probably be, you know, um, maybe seen as a roadblock in some instances uh, when trying to make sure policy is proper before releasing a new new something or other. I guess I'll call it. Uh, how do you how do you manage that uh, and and still and still keep uh, you know at the top of your a Game from a from a perspective of knowing that you're always doing the right thing.
1: Well, you know, that's a great question, actually. And that's partially why I wrote this book, because for me, it's not about really kind of getting to the point where you're confining people. It's actually flipping the switch and making sure that people have a lot of opportunity to be creative, uh, to innovate, to do really cool stuff. And, you know, the way that I equate it is almost to, you know, I don't know if you have kids or not, but like I equate it to what things were like when my son was young, right? He's 11 now, but when he was about four or five, we had this big backyard and a, a fence around it. And I always said to him, you know what? You can hang out in the backyard and do whatever you want, right? Just like go to town, have fun, enjoy, be creative. Just never leave the backyard, right? That was our one rule. It was our one quote-unquote policy. And so this kid literally would run around the backyard pretending like the rake was, you know, a horsey. He would line up worms (laughs) and see who could win the race first. He would eat sand, you know, sometimes grass too. And, right, but the cool thing was he was always free and he was always – innovating and he was always sort of letting his imagination go wild and and be creative but I always felt like we were safe because he was in the backyard and it's the same thing in digital right so if we actually have a set of policies and people understand what those guardrails are what we really do is we actually allow people to unleash their creativity and unleash their freedom and knowing what the boundaries are that they're not going to break them we're all going to be safe and as a result people feel like they can really do some awesome stuff in the process of that, of course, you also see awesome things coming into the organization. Not only employees that are more creative or more, uh, you know, innovative, but you also have things like, you know, not having redundant, uh, sort of reinvention of the wheel. Things like, hey, we have to get this content approved again. No, you don't. If we have the right policies in the place and if organizations are creating content to those policies, then we don't have to have it approved every single time because we already know what we're putting out there. We know it's good quality. We know it's up to par. It meets our policies and off you go. So you can get situations where maybe a large pharma is uh, no longer taking 21 days to get content approved, it's down to three. And that might not seem like a really big deal. But let's say you have the measles outbreak that we had recently and a pharma company is trying to get the news out about their vaccine so we don't have a larger outbreak than necessary. There's a huge difference between 21 days and three days. So there's a lot of really great stuff in policy land and there's a lot of really great outcomes of having policies. But unfortunately, we have the stigma, I think, of policies being handcuffs, being constraining, being sort of a nuisance, when in reality, it's just the opposite, and they can free the organization just as much as they can constrain it. Yeah. And create competitive advantage, right?
0: No, you're 100% correct. And I appreciate you, you know, kind of uh, guiding us through the differentiation of, you know, how policy is not a roadblock. And I have a perfect example, right? Uh, Voice America is a, uh, f- you know, we're, we're an internet radio station. We are a marketing company. We market products, goods, and services for our clients and our radio show hosts and ourselves. Um, and mm-hmm. so we, we create content, right? That's what we do. Yep. We create a lot of content. And, you know, from a company perspective, it, it is very difficult because, you know, we have five different verticals of content, health and wellness, business, right? Every person, every customer, every host, every advertiser, every listener, right? All of those people kind of have an expectation of what Voice America produces, right? Mm-hmm. We're not we just, you know, we're not, uh, uh, you know, no offense if you do your podcast in your garage. I bet you it sounds wonderful. Um, we don't do that. We do that uh, on, a, on a scale much larger. We're doing 300 hours of more of content on a weekly basis, right? We have this, mm-hmm. this engine of content, right? You can't have... That engine of content. That's why you know I love the 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 uh, the garage broadcaster because you know he or she makes content and they are the person that gets to review, approve, and 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 distribute. Right. So there's the the creator and approval process all in one person makes it really easy for them to distribute content. Right. In our particular case, we have to have policies around what we create. Right. We get this question all the time. Right. Oh, you guys are internet radio. Is it okay if I cuss on the air? Well, yeah, you can cuss on the air, but is that what you want to align your brand with? Mm-hmm. You know, and so we, we have a policy around around uh, how we as Voice Americans who are, uh, you know, employees of Voice America, how we do radio shows and, and how we don't go to those locations and those spots. That's part of our uh, our content policy. And when we're creating content, you're 100 percent correct. We have like five rules for our content. Does it meet A, B, C, D, E, F and G? Yes. OK, then mm-hmm. publish it. It doesn't have to uh, I don't have to go to the director of marketing um, as the VP of broadcast operations when i I'm helping the team to create content. I don't have to go ask anybody if it's okay to deliver as long as I know it meets these criteria. And the second part of that policy would be that a company has a quarterly audit of content, right? So as the content is coming out, you have an audit. And I think that's something that's really important, right, on the other side of policy. And so when you guys are working towards those digital policies, how are you effectively creating them in a manner where, A, the C-level executive suite feels comfortable enough allowing their employees to do what they need to do without micromanaging Um, and then how do they come back and make sure that the policies are being followed I think that's probably the, the biggest hurdle for a business
1: absolutely and you know it's funny that you even ask that question because nine out of ten times when people call me up they have one of two issues either they have no policies or they have policies more commonly they have policies that are not working and the reason for that is a lot of folks like to create these like 70 80 page long documents I'm not sure why that's the magic number but they're 70 to 80 pages long they PDF them they put them on their intranet and they go those are all the things all the rules you have to follow to do digital work and then they're shocked that nobody reads that stuff right they're like wow why would nobody want to read this stuff so here's the thing you it's the same can't reason just... we don't
0: read those policies on uh, Facebook <laughs> privacy right. policy like whoa ooh, yeah exactly yeah. like okay, right, I, okay, things right, to right do I need to look at the pictures yep
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, the the point is, is that first of all, you know, you have to create policies in a way that are really intuitive and native to people that are creating the content or creating the artificial uh, intelligence algorithm or whatever it is that you're doing in digital. So if you're doing broadcasting, to me, you know, the last thing I would do is actually create a PDF and put it on an internet and say, hey, go read that. Instead I try to actually bake policies into your everyday routine or the routine of your colleagues. Honestly, I've done it where I've actually put it into the, you know, the, the coffee room, if you will. It's like where you go and where you're at is where policies need to be. So that's key number one. You know, point number two really is make sure that all the policies get disseminated. It doesn't help anybody to create policies if nobody knows about them. It's kind of like the forest and the tree thing. Unless you're there to hear it fall, it didn't happen. Of course, you bring that and
0: up with the sound guy.
1: I know. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, you're going to love that, right?
0: Yeah. I'm like, um, was there a recorder there?
1: Yeah. It's Well, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure, you know, if there was a policy, hopefully. Um, But yeah, you know, you need to make sure that those actually get to somebody, the folks within the organization know that they're there, uh, what they're supposed to do with them, how are they supposed to adopt them, give them some training, right? What am I supposed to do with this? If you're not supposed to cuss, tell people not only, hey, you're not supposed to cuss on air, right? But here's why not, right? FCC doesn't like it or, you know, that's not good for our brand or whatever it is. But explain to people more than just don't do it. Because inside of us each, there's like a little child that's happy to... To do the right thing if it's easy to do and we know why we're doing it. Right? Yeah, it's so like the cartoons
0: cartoons we used to watch back in the day that would have a big giant red button that says don't press this button.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, and exactly. The first thing exactly. you're going
0: to do is press the button.
1: Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. So explain why not. Right. Like what's, what's behind the button? Is it going to be a clown popping up or are you going to blow us up to kingdom come? Right. So, you know, it's kind of good to know those distinctions. And then the last piece really in terms of policy is, is making sure that you measure them. Right, and you alluded to this a little bit ago, which is, it, great, we have policies, we're all following them, we're doing our work, that's great. But we need to either actively measure aspects of our policies to make sure that they're effective, or we need to spot check things. And so you can do it in different ways. You can measure different KPIs. But those are the things that your CEOs and your executives are going to care about. And that's where they get excited, both because, A, they feel like, hey, we're using our resources wisely and doing a good job. But, B, we also know that we're not going to do things like get ourselves sued, you know, because (laughs) uh, we're not compliant with accessibility regulations or not going to face a GDPR fine, perhaps. Um, So, you know, that's a really, really important part. And it helps not just in terms of, feeding up to management, why and how we're doing things so that they can kind of exhale and and take it easier on us all. But it's also an issue from an employee's perspective, right? Because if policies aren't getting followed, if they're not embedded into the workflow, there's usually a reason. Either people are short-staffed or, you know, they don't know how to do something, in which case that metric will actually show that to us. And we can go back and say, ah, let's tweak the process. Let's make sure that you're actually enabled and supported to do things the right way. So it's really that kind of crucial life cycle, if you will, that gets the job done. And I think that's what makes the difference between a successful policy versus an unsuccessful one.
0: Yeah, great, great points. And a lot of a lot of companies now are should be, I guess, I I, I guess I can't say a lot of companies are, but they should be in a space where a lot of their records are digital. uh, You know, a lot of the things that they do are digital. You know, I I was on the phone the other day. I think it was with Bank of America and I had a, uh, i had a a credit card charge like I bought something online for like $110 and mm-hmm. when I bought it online um I I got the confirmation email and then for whatever reason and I don't even know why I'm like ah I never got a tracking number. I got a confirmation of my order but never a tracking number. So I'm like oh let me go back to the website and go retrieve my tracking number. I get to retrieve my tracking number and when I get there the site doesn't exist anymore And I went oh Ugh. man And a, That's also the reason why when you buy something online You use your credit card and not your debit card Because you have some protections mm-hmm. And so immediately I get on the phone I call Bank of America I'm like hey you need to re- report this No there's no fraud Nothing stolen anything like that I just need this you know Charge disputed or whatever And the woman on the phone says Oh that's great um, I'm going to send you an email with a document here And then I need you to fax it back to me
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And and I went. That's a killer for
0: me. I went facts. What do you. I'm like, (laughs) you're telling me you're going to email me a document that I cannot just email you back. She's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no, no, um, we can't do that. I'm like, you're Bank of America. And so, yeah. you know, so I guess I can't assume that everybody has everything digital in place, I guess, if Bank of America is still asking their customers to fax stuff in, which was ridiculous. Here's a funny story. I never actually faxed anything in. I just ignored them. And oh, guess, wait, and guess what? I, yeah, I got a letter in the mail that was like, hey, your dispute has been approved. We've credited you back your hundred and something bucks. Have a nice day.
1: Oh, OK, <laughs> good. So you tested their policy and it turned out that uh, they weren't following their policy.
0: Right, right. But so, like, why have it, number one, if that's the way that yeah. it works, you know, so that's an important part. But I think if everybody is having these, you know, all these digital components in their in their work, it's like really important that companies, you know, have policy around safeguarding and protecting that stuff, which is what GDPR about is about. And um, with with a, a huge ongoing component of data localization right with all these companies like having all of this data you know just shifting gear slightly how do consumers protect themselves from those companies who like Bank of America have failing policies in digital
1: yeah you know so it's interesting because um, I'm actually in full disclosure I'm a Bank of America customer from a business perspective but I'm a USAA customer on my personal side hey, as I'm, I'm talk- both
0: of those as well so here Are we you- go
1: okay Cool. So you know, it's interesting (laughs) because I thought about that. Um, You know, USAA has a pretty good digital program in place. And I think the number one thing for them is they always say like, you know, they can always do better. So I always consider that a great sign. But to me as a consumer, what I do and what I advise other consumers to do as well is just take a look at some common sense things that are happening with the business, right? To me, you know, I kind of get annoyed with Bank of America and I've complained a lot, right? From a business perspective, it's not worth switching. But on a personal side, it's much easier to do that, right? As a consumer, you can walk away from so many different services. And you should. You should take a look at, you know, how good of a job are they doing online? I always take a look at really simple things that every single person can do. I always look at a company's copyright notice, believe it or not. If you go onto their website and you look in the footer of the page, and if they don't have a copyright with a current year date, which a lot of companies still don't, that's like an immediate flag to me. It means like you just don't care enough and you don't have your ducks in an order enough to actually care about digital, right? The other parts are also really, really uh, easy to test. We were talking about GDPR and privacy. Things like, you know, every every bank, every institution today, every business you interact with is gathering information about you. Do they actually have an opt-in? Are they actively asking you, is it okay if we collect your information and use it? Is it okay if we sell it to other parties? Because here's the thing, most consumers don't get upset about their information being shared or even sold to third parties. What they do get upset about is that they don't have a choice in the matter, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's the key, right? We all understand that privacy is worth something. We just want it to be valued in some way or have some control over that. And so really kind of checking very briefly even on the surface of a site and taking a look at like, you know, do you have a cookie opt-in or opt-out option? Can you unsubscribe? You know, like last week I went to unsubscribe to an Adidas email it's Adidas for heaven's sake, right? A really large sports company. Their unsubscribed didn't work. And I thought, you know what? I'm pledging right here and now. I'm never buying anything from them online again, period. And so my poor 11-year-old is going to suffer for the next 10 years until he leaves <laughs> my home because I'm not letting him buy that again. It's just it's ridiculous, right? I'm actually does putting he, my does money he play soccer? where I count.
0: Does he play soccer? He does. Oh, he that's does. devastating yeah. for the kid it's that plays hurt. soccer. Yeah. It's going to
1: hurt. But you know what? It's going to hurt. And you know... It's not going to hurt Adidas enough that I'm walking away. but I think that a lot of people are going to start to more seriously look at these things and start to walk away from businesses. and I think that the businesses are going to start to get a clue. And yeah. it's not going to just be because of people walking away, but smart businesses, right? Like you're talking about your organization and how you know you've grown and you know it's pretty impressive right? 140 countries you know up in, in the fifth percentile in terms of performance and, and listener base, et cetera. but that didn't happen by accident. It happened because you were trustworthy, because you were interesting, you connected, um, and you know, you're know you very, very respectful of people, including your guests. And so that's how you get to be one of the top best, and that's how you get to be really great in terms of competitive advantage. And that's what businesses often forget, and that's the power of consumers in my mind, is you can actually help businesses either sustain that competitive advantage, or walk away and, and basically you know, impact their bottom line.
0: Yeah, because I guess necessarily, I don't mind that uh, a retailer, a company, a brand is capturing data on, you know, mm-hmm. habits or things because there's been a lot of times where, you know, I'm going to use Amazon as example. They collect all kinds of stuff. Right. And, yep. um, There's been a couple of times I've been on Amazon. I'm like shopping for something. I'm like, oh, I need to buy something for someone for a gift or whatever. I don't know what it is. And, you know, some of those suggestions that they give you based upon your other history and this, that or the other and their algorithm. Like I find some of that helpful, you know, because Mm -hmm. it's not like um It used to be when I was growing up, like, oh, I need to go buy something for someone. I can go to the mall, and at the mall, there's like 400 stores, and I can meander around for three hours and probably find something. You know, when you're when you're shopping digitally, it's you know, it's not like that. You have to really go through some effort to find stuff sometimes. And having you know technology in place to provide suggestive information is helpful, and that can only happen with some of the data capture. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Looking for those opt-ins and those pieces, I think, are extremely important. And, um, you know, for the simple reason, of uh, like, you know, you ever walk into Walmart and there's, you know, I don't know, 73 cashier bays, um, <laughs> like manned by three people. And then there's, yep. you know... F- 50 unmanned, you know, self-checkout pieces there. So I don't shop at Walmart for that reason. I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to talk to a person when I check out. And if you're going to spend your effort and energy on funneling people to machines for their checkout, I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. And so I shop locally at a store that has like three cashiers and <laughs> right. They know yeah, my yeah. name and they say hello to me and it's it, it doesn't feel so robotic. And, you know, and that's because Walmart has decided to put that portion of digital above their customer experience. And I can't do that. Right. Same reason why you decided that with Adidas and then more people definitely need to take a stand in, in those respects to, you know, to not do that.
1: And I think it's absolutely fascinating. I think that's exactly right. You're spot on, right? When I think about it, it's true for every aspect of our lives. And I think that as consumers and even as citizens, right? Because we're coming up with the twenty twenty elections, and so this applies to you know the candidates as well. You need to deliver a really good digital user experience. You need to do it in a way that's respectful towards people's rights in terms of privacy, and you really need to get it right online. If you don't, you know, you're going to go by the wayside. It's not going to resonate as much. Um, so you know. I'm spot on. I'm, I'm there with you.
0: You know, one of the one of the things we found a long time ago with, you know, data capture and stuff, like uh, so many times people go online and it's like, wow, this is a really cool website. I want to use it. And then mm-hmm. you go click on whatever you want and it goes, oh, register. Yeah. Right? it's like, okay, give me your name, email address, your gender, your birthday or whatever. Sometimes it may just be <laughs> name and email address or whatever. And I go, man, that's intrusive. I, I don't like intrusive. Uh, and so then Voice America, we go, well, you know, when you listen to radio in your car, right, and you turn the dial, like the radio doesn't ask you for your name when you want to mm-hmm. listen to radio. So we took that approach, like makes it so easy because you don't have to have a digital policy around what you're doing with people's data if you're not even acquiring it in the first place. Right. I'm saying, hey, come to Voice America and listen to Internet talk radio. Listen to podcasts. You don't have to give me anything. You just come and listen. Right, and then for the person who does say, "Oh, you know what? I want to keep track of these." Right, so we have some tools around that, which is okay. If you do create an account with with Voice America, you can uh, track and bookmark your favorite shows. Right, makes it really easier. Set up reminders to get sent to you and all that. Right, which can all easily be opted out. Um, and so, I think if more companies took some of that approach, like I don't under—I've never understood this whole like give me your data barrier to entry to you know things that are so you know minute like your product should speak for itself you should be able to you know have people come to your sites have that digital experience like you said having a good digital experience and allow people to you know like your son in the backyard let me meander the backyard right Mm -hmm. and and let me get into what i want to get into you know rather than you having to micromanage my experience to capture my data i think businesses would be so much better informed if they just allowed people to meander around and go see what they look at.
1: And also ask the question why? right? Right? Because a lot of the times, you know, we're actually asking people to give us their email address. We never stop to say, why? Why do I need your email address? Like, why? What am I going to do with that? Why? (laughs) And so to me, I I love this, you know, and you probably have had this experience as well, as I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners have, which is you actually go to a site, there's a pop-up that comes onto the screen, says, hey, you know, would you like a coupon to save 10%? Or do you want to find out what your discount is today? Just give us your email address. And you can type in any random email address, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, use this code for 15% off. And I think to myself, I go, wow, that's really the price that you put on me, like 15%. That's actually like, as a user, you're willing to basically give 15% away of your profits To anybody who enters an email address, first of all, and it doesn't even have to be a real email address; it's a bogus Mm -hmm. email address. So not only have I now dirtied up your database, right, because you have an email address that doesn't actually work; it's not legit. Thanks. But you're actually right, exactly. I'm (laughs) just saying you're going like, wow, this is kind of the this is the value you put on our relationship and the trust, and. You know, for a long time, I felt like it was just me who thought that. But I've actually seen more and more people literally turn around like you did or you do, right? And say, you know what? I'm going to actually go to that local store. I'm going to actually go to a website and, and shop with them because it just makes me feel good. I get the warm and fuzzies. Whereas, you know, the other site down the road doesn't, you know, I can put in any nonsense garbage email address and I get my 15% off and just keep clearing my cash every time for another 15% off. What kind of a relationship is that?
0: Yeah, it's a terrible relationship and it doesn't do, it doesn't bode well for the business or for the consumer because you know, want I want to I wanna provide discounts like if you know if I, I own a shop of uh, I don't know I sell widgets there's a great example right come to my <laughs> widget shop and um, let me sell you some widgets. Well the thing is is like when you come into the widget shop and you go, hey before you even enter my widget shop, before you even look at the widgets that I have available, I'm giving you 15% off. Yeah in my mind I'm going well that's great that you're giving me 15% off but I don't even know if I want to shop here yet. Like, let me let me get through the door, dude. <laughs> you right, know, it's, it's, right. It's like or even it, better. Like, <laughs> hey, can you
1: just leave your driver's license at the front door while you go look around?
0: Right. It's like right. when you get to the car dealership and you don't even have a chance to, you know, finish rolling your windows up and there's a car salesman standing right there at your door. And it's like, look, dude, let me let me get out of the car. You know, before you get bombarded. And I think if you allow people to have a human experience of being human, because all of us are, you know, extremely curious anyways, allow the curiosity to lead the consumer to a place where then you can engage with them in a better space. Right. Let me let me put something in my cart before you go. Hey, that's a great choice. Did you know we might have this, this and this that you might be interested in? If you buy seven of them, we'll give you this off. Right. And then now you're coaxing me to a sale rather than harassing me at the front door.
1: Well, and I think, you know, and so that's sort of interesting because it's leading us right back to that original question, which is, you know, where are we with, you know, data privacy and data rights and GDPR and some of the other pieces um, that are coming into play in different countries around data privacy, right? Which is, I think, because as people and as organizations, mostly, we aren't able to be grown ups and have a good user experience and value you and the relationship that we have. Right? Because we aren't able to do that, and because we do abuse, as organizations, we do abuse uh, people's individual right to privacy. We do have GDPR. We do have PAPIA in South Africa. We do have LGDP in Brazil. We have CCPA that's coming into effect in California next year. And it's very unfortunate that regulators actually need to create these rules for us but in an era where businesses can't do that for themselves, organizations actually need to be told how to do it. And I think we're going to see more and more of that, um, which is sad, right? Because in my mind, you know, it doesn't stifle necessarily creativity. I, I see plenty of organizations um, that are getting past that. But I think that there's a lot of people, too, out there that we're trying to do the right thing. and you know, not necessarily getting any recognition for having done that previously.
0: You know, what's really scary to me, Christina, to be honest, um, did you watch, um, like when Mark Zuckerberg was being asked questions by Congress? Did did you, wasn't
1: that insane?
0: So, so that's, that's the part that really scares me is be to be honest. And it doesn't matter whether it's like the federal government, you know, in Congress Mm -hmm. or whether it's like local state government, um, you know, the, the, you know, the the people are all kind of a little older in that respect, and so that's really what scares me to death is, you know, if you have uh, local municipalities, federal, uh, you know, uh, statutes, or anything from that perspective coming from those entities, How can anybody who doesn't even understand how the Internet works, like even begin to write policy or to suggest policy around it? You know, because that was the scariest thing. Look, you know, having these senators and these congressional folks asking Mark questions that I'm going, I can't even what? (laughs) Yeah, where did that come from? (laughs) You don't. It's an email, dude. It just sends. And and I guess it, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not a millennial. Um, I don't coin myself. I'm like right on the edge of millennial or Gen X and, you know, but even then I'm thinking like my mom is 77 years old and she understands this. How, how can you be sitting in this place in government and not understand this? And you ask this question, I'm going, who voted for you? My goodness.
1: Will they vote again? (laughs) Yeah. And they probably
0: will. Like there's no term limits. Some of those guys have been there for like 40 years.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, uh, yes, absolutely scary moment, I think, for a lot of us, um, and rightfully so. That was just, you know, that was a little bit insane, I have to just be honest with you. For me, it was a little <laughs> bit insane to watch that. But I think it really does underscore the fact that the era that we're living in needs to have rules, and the rules need to be created by a collective, right? And so, you know, having government never works in terms of just Government regulations, and we see that, right? I mean, we saw it for heaven's sake with Boeing recently, right? How well did the government do in terms of um, FAA regulations and catching Boeing ahead of time in, in, in ensuring that their aircraft is safe and able to fly correctly, et cetera, right? So it doesn't work in other areas. It's not going to work. Necessarily any better in digital either. So I think we need to actually have more of a collective. If you actually have regulators who also invite industry in, who also have NGOs and nonprofits at the table and think tanks, et cetera, I think that we actually can get a little bit closer to coming up with what I call the guardrails for digital, right? Which is what are the things that we should do and should never do? And then can we just play within that field? Because we all know the rules to the game, right? If you're a soccer fan or if you're a football fan, I don't care, but you know, we understand the rules clearly. And if you say we're playing football, I know exactly what I need to do. And the same thing with soccer. And so I think we need to do the same thing in the digital space and get to a point where we know what the rules are and how to play correctly. And um, it's just taking us a little bit longer to get there than I thought it would. which is why at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? Let me start writing a book. (laughs) Maybe that'll help.
0: No, there's definitely a lot more conversation that needs to be had because we as a society inherently you know as human beings are a little greedy um, you know inherently as you look at corporate greed and all that and I think that's that's where you know another part of the scary piece becomes is how do you you know effectively manage the people that are being allowed um, at the table in the first place right you talk, you talk about making a collective of you know mm-hmm. people that are going to work together to help to create rules well if you have you know a couple of bad apples that are sitting at the table um, you know maybe they're greedy for their organization or their whatever it is, and making sure that if they're sitting at the table, how do you how do you make sure that there's a proper balance in place that you know entities aren't able to slip in bad operators to uh, to adjust the rules in digital to swing in their direction? I think with the way that our existing government and everything kind of is there's already that space Mm -hmm. where you know things can be manipulated and rules can be manipulated Um, and so making sure that that doesn't happen in digital I know it's hard just because humans are just kind of that way by nature but you know as we're kind of at the you know the precipice of this you know data age uh, you know moving past the technology age and we're setting those rules uh, how how do we facilitate that to not have those bad apples
1: well, and I think you know, very valid point, right? Because there's always an opportunity for bad apples to come in. But I think that the way that we do that is we actually have diversity, a diversity of interest, diversity of people around the table. Um, and I know that's a little bit cliche, but it's actually true, right? One of the things that um, I think about very often is, you know, isn't digital privacy a human right? So. If it's a human right, where are the where's the United Nations in this conversation? Um, right? That's one of the questions. I think about you know, the World Wide Web Forum um and the foundation, you know, can they be a voice at the table? I think that there's a lot of people who are super smart and who actually help do great things, including creating, you know, the web that can help also you know, bring about a solution to the, this problem, but I think it has to be a lot more diverse. I don't think it can just be sort of the large guys and the large tech who bring themselves into the room. We've seen that, for example, with Facebook, right? We've already created one little mess over here. Now Facebook is saying let's go and do Libra from, um, you know, a new currency perspective. It's like, oh, what could possibly go wrong with that? Um, so <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I, I think A lot, exactly. So I think that, you know, you need the diversity. You need not just, you know, The sort of range, if you will, of organizations to be in the room. You need geographical diversity. You need diversity of thought. Um, We have a lot of really great folks who are thinking about these problems, especially in the EU, that, by the way, are not part of the EU Commission necessarily or responsible for GDPR. But people are thinking about this. And I think that there's a lot of great stuff coming about. But unfortunately, a single voice isn't going to do the trick. It does need to be a larger foundation, if you will, um, for the discussion. And I think on the whole, what we lack is a global. Global governance system. Yeah. So uh, that's probably another topic for another time. But, yeah. Because uh, what what I, is what
0: are, you you brought up a really scary point when you were talking about uh, Facebook's cryptocurrency. You have mm-hmm. Facebook with 1.6 billion users. Um, yep. They have a an undoubtedly presence on the dark web. Number mm-hmm. three, they're in the midst of building a dating application that integrates with Facebook. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you add in cryptocurrency on top of it. And that right there are four key components for ultimate digital disaster. Oh yeah. Disaster.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And what I love about it is, you know, you have people um, in Congress saying, you know what, we're not going to let them, you know, do this. Like Facebook is not actually going to get its cryptocurrency. And I'm like, how are you going to stop them? Like, what are the rules and the laws exactly that you're going to point towards? Because guess what? You did not develop those in time. Um, So, Yes, absolutely huge, huge issue, I think, from a societal perspective. Um, I think what's interesting is, you know, regardless of my opinion or your opinion around Facebook, you know, they're purely capitalistic, right? And they're definitely out there with a very specific agenda. And, you know, I think the question is, can we even do anything about it at this moment, or do we need to sort of sprint really fast and get ahead of them on the next thing?
0: Yeah, I think think both.
1: Yeah. Right, yeah. right. and the, Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, I think that that's kind of brings me back to like this entire governance question of like, how are we really going to govern ourselves in the much bigger context, right? Which is, you know, if you think about sort of governing of the web versus governing of the internet, um, as i like to kind of think about it because of my colleague, Lisa Welchman, who, uh, who really works in that space, um, I think that we need governance at both levels, right? We need to actually have good sound governance of the web. And then we also need to have good sound governance of the internet. Uh, those two things are different things, and I think how we go about governing those two things is going to set the path for for how we go forward. But you know, my hope is that little by little, at least, we can take baby steps. Um, it is a big problem. We can't boil the ocean necessarily, and I think what we can do is organization by organization, become more mature about our digital practices, start owning the decisions, and start educating consumers definitely to the fact that they do have choices. And I think that'll start the collective process to holding others accountable, including the Facebooks.
0: Oh, I love that word accountable. I have a five-year-old daughter. We're working on accountability. <gasps> you know,
1: I bet she does well compared to some of these tech giants.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, she's she's pretty good. She's pretty good. She surprises me every day. She's amazing. She's amazing. So yeah, like you said, you you know, your son's now older. Um, I I do the same thing. I'm like, all right, here's your space. Do whatever you need to do. Have fun. Don't, Don't go past here yep yeah yeah oh that works well right yeah it's like um it's like uh so i have we have geo fencing right so i like a geography fence right and then Mm -hmm. and then we have to have uh like like digital fencing where you protect those little ones from uh from those ones right that you talk about the policies on from a corporate standpoint from how how that happens but us as parents have to have digital policies too you know Mm -hmm. making sure to to keep tabs on what our kids are doing and uh, limiting their exposure to, you know, what could potentially be disastrous. Uh, You know, again, I I brought up those four things, those four things I brought up, Facebook, a little dark web, mix in a dating application and some cryptocurrency, all really bad for kids.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and I'm amazed at how many um, people around us are having kids. And the first thing I say is, you know, has anybody told you to freeze your kids credit and they were like, what? Right. Because everybody's kind of worrying about what kind of diapers to recommend to you. And, you know, have you gotten the latest toy or not? And I'm like, go and freeze your child's credit report. Like, that's the number one thing you need to do. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of little things so I think we have to don't, worry about.
0: I think that's an important thing that me, a lot of people may not know. How does somebody do that for their kids?
1: Well, you know, so here's the thing. You know, if uh, if you do it. You just you it, call first <laughs> no, so you you would hope, right? I think they're still living in the ages of the fax machine that you mentioned earlier. So, unfortunately, you have to go to all the three big companies, um, the big credit reporting bureaus, including Experian. Mm-hmm. They all have their own form that you have to fill out. Now, luckily, it's available online, so folks can just go and Google that or, you know, use whatever browser you want to, uh, to get to that. Um, you can fill it out for your child and you can actually send in the information. You'll have to jump through hoops, like getting a copy of the birth certificate, your driver's license, Uh, you have to like actually prove the relationship to the child and whatnot. But once you do it, you know, it'll be in place for the next 18 years or until they need to remove that uh, freeze for themselves. And it will help with things like credit identity theft, um, et cetera. And you know, you think it's kind of crazy and one off, i I know, I had
0: had mine stolen, I know exactly. I had had mine stolen twice i had mine stolen twice i had one stolen where it was um identity theft where they had my uh, social security they had they had a driver's license made with my name on it and their photo um and they got tickets i got my license revoked and that's how i started getting letters in the mail and it was like your license is suspended i'm like what show up in court and i'm Mm -hmm. like this is really weird so, yeah it took me a really long time to get all that stuff situated so if you get and and um, the one of the other times that it happened I was a teenager um, and mm-hmm. some somebody had um it' was using my social security number um, like I have I had to pay taxes and stuff like somebody was using it I don't know if it was an illegal immigrant or somebody using my social security number or whatever but yeah I don't know it's really crazy you know you get that report in the mail like every couple of years from the social security mm-hmm. office saying how much you paid in like FICO and all that kind of stuff Apparently yeah. I started working when I was 10
1: Oh wow So right? you're going to retire in what 18 months Well yeah
0: and what was funny is so you get all that stuff cleared up And they realize okay yeah that wasn't you But all the stuff that you paid into Is still under my name from being 10 years old Oh man I'm going alright yeah. well that, that means My social security checks will be sweet when I retire
1: That's right. That's a good kind of identity theft, I guess, to have if you have to have some, but other than
0: than going through all the other stuff to get rid of it, it was bad. I mean, it took us, I don't know, a year and a half to get everything cleared up. So yeah, go freeze the kids credit report for sure.
1: Absolutely. And you know, and unfortunately, you know, it, it, I think as a parent, especially in today's age, you know, literally you have your regular job that you go to every day, then you have the care and feeding and loving of your family and your home, and then there's, like, this third job, which is all about, like, digital governance of your child, I think, and, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm not sure if you're seeing it yet with your daughter. She's only five, but, um, you know, we've entered the area where man, now in sixth grade, kids have like all the Instagrams of the world and the Facebooks. And it's all about having their phones and keeping up and using TikTok and whatnot. And it really is a constant, constant conversation, a constant sort of review. And in our instance, you know, we actually signed a contract with our kid, which I thought was kind of a good way to go because... You know, you need some policies there as well, right? You need to to keep them safe when they were little so they wouldn't run onto the road and get hit by car. You got to keep them safe now in the digital. You
0: struck a chord with me when you said that word, TikTok.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. What That's, do you think of that?
0: It's a ver- so I'm, I'm going to be candid. So when I, I, I earlier today, when I was talking about the host that came, uh, Opal Singleton, who does the exploited, um, tick is one of the number one, um, human trafficking applications in the world. Uh, it's a Chinese based application. It's mm-hmm. funded by the EU, um, by who n- nobody knows who it's funded through. And yeah, it's really, really bad. And it is one of the top recruiting tools for, uh, for uh, you know, like selling children on the black market.
1: And it is amazing at how many kids have that. And you know, to me what's TikTok interesting is, is more you know,
0: TikTok is more popular than Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram combined.
1: Combined. combined. Yeah, isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. It's very, very crazy. And, you know, I think what's interesting, too, is, you know, when you get your 11-year-old, they don't come there and go like, oh, I really want TikTok because of X, Y, Z. It's more like, oh, I want TikTok because my friends have it. Or I want Instagram because my friends have it. Yeah, and then the
0: problem is, is you have a nine-year-old that has, like, 70,000 followers. Like, that's just not, like nah nope nope I'm not getting into details nope can't do it well
1: but you know it's interesting (laughs) I have to tell you you know I have to tell you a really interesting story so um you know being the policy person that I am you know my son has kind of been getting the the story for a really long time about what is personally identifiable information you know he knows that his doctor's office cannot request a social security number and he can tell them no if they do he knows all the rules right and so I had been saying no to social media I was like nope You're 11. You're not going to have it. Not only is it because, you know, the terms don't allow for it, but we don't allow for it. So he actually snuck around and decided to open up an Instagram account. And, you know, it was one of those sort of bittersweet moments for me because I wasn't sure if I should hit the ceiling and start screaming. Should I ground him or should I be proud? Because here's what happened. He finally fessed up, right? He came to me and he said, hey, mom, I did decide to open up an Instagram account. Before you freak, it's set to private. The name is, you know, something like really crazy, unidentifiable to him. Like you'd never be able to tell that this is the kid. Um, I've decided not to actually have notifications in place. I'm not sharing any photos of myself or friends. I'm not sharing any photos of places. Only of objects from school. Like, you know, so he was going down this list and it wasn't 100% on par. But it was for an 11-year-old, I thought, pretty good, right? Because he was actually thinking through all the key points he should be thinking about that we should all be thinking about, which is, how much of my data are they going to get? What am I sharing? Am I leaving myself open to a predator out there? And so I think that we all need to instill sort of the basic infrastructure into our children not necessarily around TikTok or Instagram, et cetera, but like what are the things you should be sharing online? What yeah. kind of things can put you in jeopardy? What kind of things are maybe bad people thinking that you can actually help them achieve their goal and how can you actually avert them from achieving their goal? And I think those are the, the type of things that make up that third job as a parent um, in today's age. It's kind of insane, but, yep. it, you know, it's Yeah, there.
0: And, you're, and you're 100% correct. And that's why I really didn't want to get into like details around, you know, the, the, the function of TikTok that does that because that's not the focus of our show today, but, Mm -hmm. but you're correct. And that's exactly where I wanted to go is it's really important just to make sure that you have, uh, you know, policy at home that you can teach your children, um, you know, about, you know, why these things are important, why you can't share this, this, or this, what is the consequence of doing so? Because, you know, just like that big red button that says, don't press me, you need to know why not to press the button. And I think it's the same premise when you're, you know, giving digital guidelines to, you know, to your children and, you know, all of that. My daughter's five and she, sees my wife and I on Facebook and, you know, we, uh, share pictures and stuff with the family and all of that. And, you know, and then Marley goes, Oh, let me see it. Let me see. Can I see a picture of me on Facebook? And I go, (laughs) I go, yeah, hold on. And I scroll through and I go find it. And then I, you know, even though she's five, I go, Hey, this is a picture of you on Facebook, but look, do you see right here that it says, um, it's only allowed to be seen by friends of my friends or not friends of Mm -hmm. my friends, but my friends, you know, who people that are in my friends list, it's not public, you know? And I said, it's really important that you don't make all your photos public unless you want them to be public and I said so like when I post work stuff and I explained to her you know hey I make all that stuff public because I want everybody to see what's going on with work and who we're interviewing and that kind of stuff but I don't need anybody just looking at pictures of my daughter and she goes and she goes yeah that'd be creepy huh See,
1: a five-year-old gets it we should put Marley in charge I'm gonna actually you know create a campaign around that Uh, you know I think most people you know would agree with this but for organizations especially what I tell my clients always is just don't do anything creepy. Right. And that's usually a good rule of thumb. If it seems a little bit weird just don't do it and uh, it'll usually guide you down the right path.
0: No, that's that's 100 percent correct. And, you know, just having those conversations are super important. You know, real quick, we have just a few minutes left in the show here. Um, you know, Christina, what what's next for you? You know, I know that you have the the book that you did, the power of digital policy, um, all, all of that. Uh, obviously, you can get that on uh, Amazon. You have a few different places where those are available. So make us uh, uh, listeners, make sure you go check it out. Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Apple Books, Google Play Books and Kobo, right, is the other place that you yeah. have that book?
1: Yeah, you can grab them out there um, pretty much every place online. If you just go to the com, plenty of uh, links to every place where the book is available.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. So any new projects that you're working on uh, as you as you move toward enlightening the world in digital policy? What's next <laughs> for you?
1: You know, so I work, um, I continue to work with organizations in helping get their digital right. Um, I've had this tremendous privilege this month to be at Smashing Conference in Toronto and also on Smashing TV where I'm talking to digital developers, digital designers um, and other folks who are digital makers how to get digital right online and really help out their organization. So I'm going to be doing that and then uh, speaking at a number of uh, conferences and just really hoping to share what I've learned over the last 20 years and uh, enable and support my uh, colleagues in getting it right online.
0: Awesome. And you have um, your own website as well, the uh, Christina Podner website, the kpodner.com also where people can find out kind of, uh, you know, which digital policies, why, what you do, your experiences, all that, right?
1: That's right. If uh, if you go to com, if you are an organization, you can get all kinds of free goodies and resources in terms of creating your digital policies and getting the risk and opportunity balance right for your organization. And if you're an individual, there are also a few things out there that you can uh, grab onto and use internally uh, in your house, with your kids, uh, with your colleagues at work, etc. And so uh, definitely a good spot to head on to if you are interested in policy stuff.
0: Yeah. And I want to encourage our listeners. Uh, we've we've done a lot of radio shows on entrepreneurs and business. And so there's uh, uh, quite a lot of entrepreneurs who, who listen to this. And this is an important message for entrepreneurs, especially if you guys are new and starting a brand new business or just getting into, you know, uh, doing something on your own. You have one two employees Now is the time to set the policies. You know, you don't wait, set them now because it makes it a lot easier to make policies when there's one or two of you than it is to go retro when there's 15 or 20 of you. Um, You know, so definitely that would be my advice as you guys are listening. And of course, you can also reach out to uh, Christina. I'm sure she would love to come to your business and help you work on some of those policies as well.
1: Absolutely. Reach on out and uh, I will be happy to lend a hand.
0: Awesome. Well, I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in to Finding a Frequency today. What a great show. We learned so much. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks, Ryan. It was so much fun to be here. I really uh, had a great time.
0: Wonderful. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening on Apple iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcatcher is, make sure you give us a fantastic review. Uh, we also like to be rated five stars because it's better than four. Uh, I never knew a four-star general that was better than a five-star, so let's keep up with the five stars. We appreciate that. And, of course, you can check us out all over social media. Uh, my Twitter, at Radio Ryan1, Jeff's at JeffSpinny2, the main Voice America Twitter account, at VoiceAmericaTRN, and, of course, the website, frequency.net. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this edition of Finding Your Frequency. Stay tuned next week as we have another fantastic episode coming to you right here on voiceamerica.com, the leader in live internet talk radio.